I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Everybody, welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to look out and see a lot of really familiar faces. And it's good to look out and see some faces that aren't that familiar yet. Uh, if that's you, if you're new to Hope, if you're just kind of checking us out, maybe you're here for the very first time, uh, great big welcome to you. So glad that you're here. We don't think it's an accident you're here. Uh, we've been praying for everyone who is here, and, and you picked a great weekend to join us because we're starting a new message series today across all of Hope's campuses. The message series is Faith at Work and School, and kind of the way I'm viewing this message series uh, this is a re-entry series because it's summer and we love summer. Summer is fantastic. We praise God for summer. Summer is one of those times every year where it's pretty easy for us to just kind of rearrange our schedules and do things a little differently out of the regular rhythm, out of the regular routine uh, that we're in uh, the rest of our life. People go on trips, people go on uh, vacations, and a lot of times you can tell how great your summer is if you forget what day of the week it is. So just a reminder, this is Sunday morning, you're in the right spot, it's fantastic. Uh, but it is the first Sunday of August, and so uh, college kids are packing up and heading back to their dorms or their apartments at their uh, college campuses. Uh, fall sports started this last week, a lot of the fall sports, and uh, I think marching band rehearsals, show choir camps are happening. So this is kind of the get back into the regular rhythm month. And even if you're one of those people that the school calendar doesn't impact you at all, I still think for a lot of us, for most of us, August is kind of the we're getting back in gear for what the regular rhythm, the regular routine is. And so this message series is, what does that mean in terms of our faith? What's the regular rhythm, the regular routine for us as followers of Jesus Christ? So throughout the course of this message series, I'm going to be hitting our mission and vision and values as a church pretty hard. And part of the reason I want to do this, if you are new, if you're wondering what kind of church is hope, uh, the mission, the vision, and the values, we'll clear that up for you pretty quick, let you know this is who we are, this is the kind of church we are. And if you are not new to hope, it's just good to have that reminder every once in a while. Who's God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? Uh, the mission and the vision and the values keep us in rhythm as a church. So let's look at the mission. We'll put it up on the screen and let's read this out loud together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. I was thinking, what cinematic masterpiece could I find to help kind of you know, teach us something about what does it look like to uh, be a, a church that's on mission. So of course I thought of Nacho Libre. It really does teach us as, as we reach out to the world around us, what, what does that actually look like? So again, if you are new, this is what we teach people around here. Uh, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're at uh, meet the teacher night, when you're hosting the cross country team for, you know, carb loading meal before uh, the meet, just have a, a big container of water close by. And in case there's anybody you're just a little concerned about their salvation and stuff, just dip their face in that and everything's... No. Uh, that, that clip teaches us what not to do. 
This is not the way to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We have a mission as a church, but even more importantly than having a mission, we want to be a church that's on a mission. So what does it look like to do that in healthy, God-honoring, Christ-centered kinds of ways? And Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, writes a letter that gives us some wisdom on this. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we will be hanging out. And you heard Steve read in in our Bible reading, starting in verse 13. I want to reread just the first two verses for us as we get going. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. There were three words in those two verses that stood out to me. Harm, suffer, and threats. What what is going on? What is Peter talking about? A little historical context uh, would be helpful. Uh, Most biblical scholars think that this letter of Peter is written 30 years or so after Jesus' resurrection. It's written when Nero is the Caesar, he's on the throne in Rome, and most scholars believe it's written after the great fire in Rome. Uh, After that fire in Rome, a lot of people were were mad at Nero, and so Nero did some blame shifting, and he said it was the Christians who started the fire, and so there was a a persecution of Christians that started happening during Nero's reign. Now, uh, the academics and the historians, there's some uh, argument and debate how much of what was written by these uh, Roman historians, Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, how much of it actually happened, how much of it is exaggerated, but all the scholars uh, and the academics agree there was persecution of Christians, of people who would go public with their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, They would, some just awful, terrible, violent things happened to them, and You can dig into that if you're really interested by Googling Nero persecution Christians. But uh, 2,000 years ago, it was scary. It was dangerous to publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ. You, You could face persecution if you did that. There are people in America today who think it's scary and dangerous to go public with your faith in Jesus. And at some level, I agree with you. But just to be clear... Uh, the church in America, Christians in America, are not facing persecution. If you go public with your faith, are you going to be harmed? Yeah, it might harm your reputation. There might be people that look at you a little bit differently if you let it be known publicly that you love Jesus, you follow Jesus, you're shaping your life around Jesus. Your social status might suffer a little bit. There might be people in your circle of friends who treat you differently if you're public about your faith in Jesus, and there might be a threat of embarrassment to you. If you're public about your faith in in our culture today, people might tease you about that. Uh, People might put labels on you because of that. And so uh, a lot of Christians are very grateful that we are in a sort of the cultural, the societal expectation when it comes to faith is just keep it to yourself. Just be private with your faith. Whatever faith you have, whatever God you, you love and follow and serve, that's great. But just you've, that faith is between you and God. It doesn't need to be public. Keep it to yourself. And we're like, phew, good. I'm glad I don't have to worry about sharing my faith because this expectation to keep it private. The, the problem is we've got that pesky mission statement. You remember what the mission statement is? Let's say it again together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And for a lot of us, that feels scary and dangerous. 
We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be embarrassed. So if God's calling us to do things that feel scary and, and embarrassing, and um, what, what's the best thing for us to do? I think the best thing for us to do is to practice doing scary, dangerous, embarrassing things together in the sanctuary when we're gathered here for worship. So you ready to do that? Everybody, get out your little light, hold up your little light, and we're going to sing together this little light of mine. Won't that be embarrassing? Come on, everyone, get your light up. Here we go. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now, you cannot say, I didn't know any of the songs we sang at church today. You, you knew that one. So, um, the, that song comes right from the mouth of Jesus, sort of. Uh, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells the people who've gathered to listen to him teach, you are the light of the world. And we return to that idea, we return to that uh, verse every time we do baptisms around here. Part of the baptism liturgy, you light a candle and you say, this candle is a reminder of your job description. It's a reminder of our mission as followers of Jesus. To let our light shine before all people that they may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. So faith is this interesting thing. There are private components to living a life of faith, absolutely, and Jesus teaches us on that. But there's also this idea of letting our light shine. So don't hide your light. Oh yeah, that's another verse of the song, and it has actions. Show me your light again, put it under the bushel, and when we get to the no, you yell out the no. Are you ready? Hide it under a bushel, no! I'm gonna let it shine, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What could be more embarrassing and humiliating than what we just did together? So now you can go out without fear of the threat of embarrassment and just carry out the mission. But before I send you out, let's talk a little bit more about some of the tips Peter gives us as we go about carrying out the mission. So uh, in verse 15, Peter says this, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Look at that. Go to there. Yeah. I got it right. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So the, the end game is this mission in, in sharing the love of Christ with the world around us. It's really important. In order to get there, we have to start in the right kind of place. And Peter is saying the starting place has something to do with worship. So let, let me try to explain what we're getting at here. In the Bible, the very beginning, uh, the first page of the Bible, we got the account of the creations of the heavens and the earth. Uh, six days that God creates, on the seventh day God rests. On the sixth day, part of what God creates is humanity. God creates human beings, and, and what we're told is, Human beings are created in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. This is one of the foundational theological beliefs that undergirds all of Christianity. It's called the Imago Dei. The, every person is created in the image of God. Why is the image of God this idea? Why is that so important? Part of what it means to say that we're created in the image of God 
It means before you do anything, before you've accomplished anything, before you achieve anything, before you win anything, you are an image bearer of God. So not just you, but everyone you meet, every person you encounter, including the person that's reflected back when you look in the mirror, is somebody who's been created in the image of God. And when you stop and think about it, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Uh, what God says at the end of the sixth day of creation, God looks over everything that God has made, including us, including human beings, and God says, it's very good. It's the idea of the Imago Dei. We're created in the image of God. We, we see that in the very first page of the Hebrew Scriptures. A similar idea is communicated in the New Testament just with different language. So on, on the first page of Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, we read about Jesus' baptism. But before Jesus uh, has preached a sermon, at least a sermon that we read about, before he has performed any miracles, before he's had any displays of supernatural power, Jesus gets baptized and he hears a voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven says, you are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. Now, think, what does Scripture tell us about Jesus? Jesus, according to the writer of Colossians, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus. That, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That, that's who Jesus is, fully God, fully divine. And Scripture teaches us Jesus is fully human. He's born in Bethlehem, he's laid in a manger, he lives a life, he eats, he dies, he experiences every human emotion, he's fully human. So Jesus is the embodiment, sometimes he's called the second Adam in the New Testament, Jesus is the embodiment of everything good about humanity. So sometimes instead of talking about imago dei in uh, the Old Testament, they talk about that, in the New Testament they talk about belovedness and Part of that idea comes right from the baptism of Jesus. And when you combine the two, when you combine belovedness and the Imago Dei, what we get is we learn what Scripture teaches us. We are loved because we're created in the image of God. We are loved because we're created in the image of God. We are not loved because of what we do or what we do not do. Uh, we're, we're not loved because of how well we compete on the field or on the court or in a classroom or a boardroom or the marketplace. We're not loved because of how attractive and funny we are, and some of us are really attractive and funny. Probably missed our calling as, I don't know, supermodel comedians, some of us. Some. Thank you for laughing. Eight o'clock just was like... Um, scripture teaches we're loved because we're created in the image of God, and so when, when Peter says, worship Christ as Lord of your life, kind of embedded in that is this idea that our worship is a response to something. And uh, healthy worship is what flows out of this understanding of our belovedness. Some of us worship because we're scared of what's going to happen to us if we, if we don't worship. That's, that leads us in a, a wrong kind of trajectory. Healthy worship is this understanding, this trust that I am God's beloved, and so my worship flows out of that. So, what, what the Father says to Jesus in Jesus' baptism, God says something similar to every person. 
We're created in the image of God, and therefore we are loved. What happens inside you when you put your name here? You just kind of say that in your mind. What's going on in your heart of hearts? Like, Scott is dearly loved by God. Scott brings God great joy. When you put your name in there and you read through it, do you believe it? Do you trust it in your heart of hearts? Because a lot of people find this very difficult to believe. God loves me just as I am. We gather for worship. Maybe we spend some time reflecting back on uh, the week and the things that we've done. Some have been great, but most of us focus in on the times we messed up and the things that we said that were hurtful, the things that we did that didn't help, didn't help us experience life, didn't help the people around us experience more life. And so a lot of us, we think, yeah, I'm not sure. I have some doubts that God could love me after what I have done. God wants us to be secure that we can trust God loves us. A lot of us are very insecure when it comes to trusting God's love for us. It doesn't take much to fill us with doubts. Does God really love me? Does God still love me? God loves you just the way you are, and if you need proof of it, just look to the cross. Because what we see when we look to the cross, we see evidence that God is willing to do whatever it takes, go whatever distance is required, in order to display this truth of God's love for us. And and when we can become secure enough that we, we can believe, we can trust, no matter what, God loves me, it sets us free to love the people around us, to uh, serve, to give, to be compassionate. When, when we are rooted in and secure in this truth that God loves us, then we can show up in somebody's life at just the right time and in just the right way, and we can shine our light and we can point them to this incredible good news. You're created in the image of God. Everyone we meet created in the image of God. And part of what that means is they're dearly loved by God. And part of what that means is they bring God great joy. And part of what that means is if we live our life from that kind of foundational reality, it changes relational dynamics. The the community that we live in is filled with people who doubt their lovability. They doubt that there's a God who loves them just as they are. And so we have a church We have a mission, we want to reach out, we want to share this good news of God's love through Jesus Christ. But a lot of times, when Christians show up in the room, it doesn't feel good to others. There's a reason the social norm is keep your faith to yourself. Keep it private. And that's because too often, when the Christians show up, it doesn't, it's not good. It ends up being hurtful. Uh, Thursday night was show choir reveal night. Our son Kimball is going to be a senior at Centennial this year. Uh, He's in one of the 75 show choirs that they have. I don't think it's 75, but there's a lot. Uh, A lot of kids in show choir. And so reveal night, every year uh, each choir has a new program, a new show, a, a new theme, new songs, new choreography. And so there's this reveal night, and the parents got invited to go to Cabaret Sports Bar, and I don't know if it was a grill or not, but I know it was a bar. Um... And so Wendy and I went for reveal night, and there were several families from Hope who have kids in show choir, so they're like smiling and waving, Pastor Scott, Wendy, Pastor Scott, Wendy. There were other people in the room who had different facial expressions 
when it was evident there was a pastor in the room. <laughs> my reputation preceded me, I guess. Uh, I, actually, I don't think it was my reputation, but it was our reputation. And I don't mean hope, I mean Christians, followers of Jesus. Too, too many people in our world have less than positive experiences for what happens when Christians show up. Instead of, oh good, the Christians are here, this is going to be great, a lot of people fear this is going to happen when the Christians enter the room. Take a look. tell quite a story in two and a half minutes. Uh, lots of things going through my mind as I watch that. One of them is, you know, you ever show up and there's somebody sitting in your seat in the sanctuary? It's like, <laughs> what kind of looks do you give them? What starts going through your mind? That's my seat. Uh, reach out to the world around us. Share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Worship Christ as Lord of your life, Peter writes. And, and so part of what that means is just this constant reminding of ourselves. We're all the same. We're all the same. We're all created in the image of God. We all are dearly loved by God. We all bring God great joy. And so I don't get to sit on some you know, moral superiority perch. 
I don't get to look down my nose in condescension and and judgment and sort of this holier-than-thou kind of mentality. But instead, with humility, remember, I'm not better than anyone else. I'm the same. We've all made mistakes. We've all, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, which means the other thing we all have in common, we're all in need of a Lord and a Savior to pour His amazing grace into our lives. Grace that's the power to forgive us. Grace that's the power to change us, to transform us, to help us become those new creations. Grace that's the power to lead us home, to give us an eternal hope. And so when we worship Christ as Lord of our lives, we're reminding ourselves constantly of that good news, and then God gives us the incredible privilege of sharing that good news with the people around us. Let's keep digging into what Peter is getting at here in chapter 3, verse 15, as you keep going in verse 15, he says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Earlier this summer, my wife Wendy and I took our daughter Saffron to a cochlear implant family camp. Uh, Safi was deaf uh, at birth, and so when she was 15 months old, she had bilateral cochlear implants. And uh, we found out about this um, family camp. This is the first time we'd gone to. It was great. About 50 families there. They all had at least one person uh, in the family that had cochlear implants. They had um, activities for the kids to do. They had uh, workshops that the parents could attend and things that we could learn. But still, there was a lot of downtime and opportunity to uh, connect with other families. So uh, Safi made a friend named Molly. Molly's family is from Ohio. And one day at lunch, we're all sitting around the table and talking about how crazy it is that people get confused about Ohio and Iowa and Idaho and that sort of thing. And kept talking about all sorts of things. And I'm trying not to ask the what do you do for a living question, but eventually uh, it got asked. And, and as soon as he asked me, uh, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. His response was fascinating to me. He said, I've always been a little jealous. I've always been a little jealous of people who have faith. That's what Molly's dad said to me. And he's like, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an atheist either. Very interested in spiritual things, just have lots of questions and haven't really settled in what it is that I believe when it it comes to faith. And I was like able to just affirm him in his seeking. Uh, No condemnation, no judgment, no shame. I was able to just say, yeah, it makes sense to me. People would have questions about the divine. I have questions about the divine. And you probably have questions. What is God up to? Where is God? What, what, how am I supposed to make sense of all of this and live a life of faith at the same time? We, we built this church to be a safe place for all of us to explore these big questions that we have about life and faith. In about a month, we're going to have a class called Alpha, and it's one of those places where you can ask those questions. And if you haven't taken Alpha, and if you're new to Hope, we really encourage Alpha as kind of the, the first step in figuring out um, who this church is and And what does that mean for you as as you're following Jesus? So over the next couple of days, we had some really good conversations with uh, Molly's dad, and it was almost always about this kind of stuff, faith kinds of things. At one point, he said to me, "Uh, I just want to apologize. Uh, You're on vacation, and I'm making you talk about work stuff. If you want to talk about something besides work stuff, we can do that. And I was like, no, 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 no. I love talking about work stuff. In fact, I have a sheet here, and if you could sign this sheet, then I can, this whole trip can be a, a tax write-off. It would be... <laughs> I did not say that. Uh, but he really did ask, like, is it okay we keep talking about this stuff? Peter says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, notice what Peter does not say. 
he does not say, always be ready to convert them. He doesn't say it's our job to convert people. Because it's not. We don't have the power to convert anyone. Scripture is really clear on this. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that should keep us humble. It keeps me humble. Part of what that means is, like, I can't take credit for my own faith. Certainly can't take credit for somebody else's faith. We're saved by grace through faith in what God has done. That's our hope as believers, what God has done. And so when we talk about reaching out to the world around us, sharing the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, a big part of what we're saying is just be ready to share the story of what God has done in your life. And then Peter gives us a couple more tips on this. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. A couple of months ago, uh, the power steering went out in my daughter's car. And so I went to the store and I got two bottles of power steering fluid, poured one in thinking that would take care of it, put the other one in the trunk for when it happens again. Uh, it happened again later that day. And there was this huge puddle underneath the car of the first bottle that I poured in. So I opened the trunk, put the second, uh, I opened the hood. I'm not a car guy. I opened the hood, put the power steering in, started the car, and it was just shooting fluid everywhere. It looked like there was something loose that needed to be tightened, so I tightened it, and that seemed to take care of it. I thought, I healed the car. This is great. Uh, two days later, power steering's out again, so I called my car guy this time, and I uh, explained what was going on. Uh, I, I see this guy, you know, when things go wrong with my car, but it had been a while, and so he's sort of remembered who I was, but not really. Uh, I explained what was going on. He said, it should be an easy fix if it's really... What, what you're talking about. So I said, I've got to be in West Des Moines for a meeting in an hour, but if you can do it in like 15 minutes, be, he said, just bring it by and we'll take a look. He uh, popped the hood, he said, yep, tightened it up. He used real tools to tighten it up <laughs> and it worked. And he saw another clamp that was loose on another hose. He tightened that up, shut the hood, said, you should be good to go. I said, how much is it going to cost me? And he looked at me with kind of this quizzical, puzzled expression. He said, what is it? Where do you work? And I said, I'm a pastor up at Hope. And he said, that's right. And, and as soon as he said, that's right, you could see tears starting to form in his eyes. He doesn't go to church here. And for the next hour, we talked. And we talked about life, a family, marriage, the cancer scare that his wife had just had. He, he talked about how hard it was watching her go through that, trying to care for her well in, in loving way. The, the treatment was just making her weaker and weaker. He would have to carry her places. She was too weak to get there herself. Talked about the joy that they both feel when they got to a different part of that uh, cancer journey. We talked about hopes and dreams and fears for ourselves, for this community. Every once in a while, he would say, you have a meeting you need to get to? And I would say, we're fine, we're fine. And at the end of that conversation, he said to me, you know, Scott, I don't think the reason you showed up today was so that I could fix the power steering in your daughter's car. I said, really? What was the reason I showed up? He said, so we could have this conversation about faith in God. I said, I think you're right. And I think that's really all Peter is trying to point us to here. Like, you do not have to be an expert. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have the, all the answers to all the questions somebody might ask. You just got to be willing to share your story of what God has done in your life in the hope 
that that gives you and why that causes you to be someone who believes following Jesus is going to give you the best life on this earth and life that never ends even after your earthly death. I mean, following Jesus is not going to make our lives perfect. It's not going to mean our lives are pain-free or problem-free. We've been doing a lot of pastoral care this summer. There seems to be a lot of families that have really tough things going on in the lives of their kids, whether it's uh, issues around uh, mental health, whether it's uh, physical health diagnoses that are kind of scary. And when we're in those kinds of places, of course we're going to have questions and doubts about the divine and what is God up to in, in the midst of this. Following Jesus means in the the midst of the imperfections of life and the pain of life that we all experience at different times, the problems that we all go through, we can still be people of hope. Core value number one at this church, Jesus is life, the rest is details. We're a Jesus church, we've always been a Jesus church, we will always be a Jesus church. And so we look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, learn from Jesus, And we ask God to help us become more and more like Jesus all the time. We'll put our vision statement on the screen. We already did the mission. Let's talk about our vision just for a second. Read it with me. Powered by the Spirit to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. There's a certain type of person, a certain type of community that we want to be as we carry out this mission, as we become this and we think it's serious business and at the same time i think sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously Uh, paul peter is writing to this community of churches that are facing persecution they're going through really tough really difficult stuff and at the same time he reminds them of the joy that is ours as followers of Jesus. I think sometimes we take things so seriously, we miss out on the joy that God has for us. So as we get ready to move into communion, as we get ready to to worship Christ as Lord of our lives uh, and sing a couple more songs, I want us to remember the joy for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. Read this verse with me. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Our hope is in what God has done for us. And when we stop and remind ourselves of everything that God has done for us, it should fill us with this glorious, inexpressible joy. We remember what God has done for us when we come to the Lord's table. So the night he was betrayed, Jesus was having a meal with his closest friends. He took some bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Eat this and remember me when you eat it. Later in the meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this and remember me. Remember all that I have done for you when you drink it. Let's stand and let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.